against you know like of course everybody can play games you can find ways for everyone to play games but if you can't understand how to move a piece i don't know where to start from that i don't know where the yeah. beginning point is to start that lesson um especially when i had to teach it three or four times yeah that's very yeah there are times where you go like it's like how do i reach these kids yes <laughs> like, these, <laughs> well in this case this 30-year-old woman. Right. Like, I don't understand how to reach this 30-year-old woman. Uh, but that's why we're here at Red Raccoon Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Red Raccoon Radio, uh, your one podcast for the Bloomington store of Red Raccoon Games, uh, where we are actually recording from a brand new location. So if things sound a little different, if it seems a, a little out of key or a little weird, that's because we are our old location was uh, raided, as Jesse <laughs> likes to call it. Uh, we had to, you know, blow all the floodgates, open up all the flood tunnels so that, you know, our enemies could not find us. I'm not sure if I'm concerned or impressed that you immediately had a new place with manacles already ready for us. You know, whenever you're kidnapping somebody, you want to have, like, backups upon backups upon backups. So you have a plan C if this place fails. You'll hopefully never have to find out. <laughs> but what you can find out by listening to this podcast is that we have people from our local Bloomington board game shop come in and talk to us. And the voices that you've already heard, starting with is store manager Jesse. Hello. And gameologist Alex, Alex, sorry. Hi. Ah, ah, I'm sorry about it's that. It's okay. Nicknames are so weird sometimes, they are. and oh. I, I feel bad because I think I see yours a lot in print. Yeah. But we don't really talk that often in person, so it doesn't be brought up. Like we've played, uh, m m what was the card game that we were playing? Um, oh, back uh, in, like last year. I can think of the initials. Why can't I think of the name of the anime? It's My Hero? My Hero Academia. Oh, right. Thank you. Yes. That was great dead air that I was able to provide. <laughs> um, but yes, I'm sorry. It's okay. Thanks. But uh, what brings us here today is, of course, to talk about the latest news about board games and all things geek that we enjoy. Speaking of, just to start off with, Brandon Sanderson earning buku bucks on kickstarter have you heard about this uh no did not see so uh many of you might know he is the author of a slew of amazing mistborn Stormlight yes. archives yep that i remember is the correct. name of the thing i haven't read <laughs> uh yeah i only know it because of name of the wind expansion mm. or uh, excuse me uh call, call to adventure. adventure expansion as well with name of the wind which is a completely different author however uh he had a huge announcement this week he went on youtube and said i have a confession i'm sorry i've been lying to you actually during the times of COVID, i have written five new books uh, four of them he is ready to print. One he's still kind of working on, but he said, you know what? I kind of want to get these off the ground and I want you guys to help me publish them. So uh -huh. he set up a Kickstarter, uh, said, hey, $1 million. Just get me to a million dollars. We can publish all of these books. The tiers are um, online, audiobook, actual hardcovers of the book. You can choose what you want. Hmm. The man breached. $15 million in a wow. day. Last time I checked, we were up to 25. He has overtaken the Pebble Watch as the fastest growing Kickstarter That's ever. Very interesting. That's I haven't seen Kickstarter or crowdfunding in general used in that way by an established... I mean, yes. Sanderson doesn't have to beg publishers to publish his books. He is a workhorse. Just as in the parlance of our youth, uh, an absolute mad lad, I think is what the kids would call it. Mm -hmm. Is that how that, is that, I, how that works? I'm looking at Alexis now. Okay. I mean, yeah. Okay. He, it, so, but... He writes books constantly. I mean, it's kind of like how Jim Butcher used to say, I put a book out every year because I have a mortgage to pay. And Sanderson not only puts out books, but kind of like how Tolkien would create um, new fictional languages and then come up with an entire Lord of the Rings as an excuse to use them. Sanderson just comes up with these very intricate magic systems and then goes, all right, now let's make a let's make a story to use it in, yep. which is one of the things I very much enjoy. I need to finish the Mistborn series, but um, I, I like uh, I like what I've read of uh, his work so far. So it's interesting to see him do something outside of the normal publishing 
setup. Part of my wonder about that is licensing. So we just mm. actually talked about earlier mm. that you know there's an expansion to uh, Call to Adventure, which is a board game right. that is based on the Stormlight Archives. Yeah. I want to know how much of a cut he saw in that, or how much of a decision he had in that. Mm. I don't. I'm not saying that he's against it, right. but I'm wondering if he's saying, you know, I am selling these ideas to publishers, but they're the ones that are really in control of the creative process and mm. how it's used. Maybe he sees more potential in these next four books that he wants to be more in control of. It's interesting. Yes, it's interesting. Um, you can go ahead and go to Kickstarter right now. He is prominently featured on the front page. <laughs> and uh, he has made, at the time of this recording, $24 million with 25 days left to go in his campaign. Hmm. Uh, that's 103,000 backers, uh, which is just incredible. Wow. Yeah. So that's yeah. the type of geek news we like talking about around here. Yeah. But we normally focus on board game stuff. Uh, speaking of, how's the store been this week? Good. Busy. Um, the last couple of weeks have really mm, kind of melded together in my brain. We were doing a lot of moving around storage areas and stuff, and that was crazy. And then... Uh, We've had events happening too. It's honestly a blur and I'm not the best person to describe what it's been like except for busy in a good way. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty much the answer Jamie gives every week yeah. as well. <laughs> so I don't think that's anything out of the norm. I know there's a Pokemon event going on right now as we speak. Yes, our first, our inaugural return to Pokemon play in the store. Um, the... Uh, so Pokemon League has officially given their permission to have events in uh, in-house again. Um, there are some extra uh, restrictions. So uh, right now, as of this recording, uh, masks are optional uh, as the mask mandate has changed in Illinois. But during Pokemon events, masks are required in the event space per Pokemon regulations. So Fantastic. that's anybody who is down there, whether they're playing in Pokemon or not, has to be masked. And uh, yeah, we've got um, we got folks who are specifically designated to help. Uh, every time we have a Pokemon event, we're going to have someone who, if you're new, they're going to help you out, get you started up, find someone to uh, play with, answer questions, facilitate, all that kind of stuff. And uh, anyone who comes out gets promo cards. As long as they have a Pokemon League login uh, information, then they get promos. So that's pretty fun. I love the idea of whenever you say the Pokemon League gave their blessing, their hand movements, yeah. instead of the cross, is like the outline of Pikachu's ears. <laughs> the sign of the Pika. The sign of the Pika. The sign of the Chew. <laughs> Dominus. Chew be with you. Chew be with you. <laughs> so that's fun. That's exciting. Pokemon is definitely big right now. Arceus yeah. hit hard. Uh, I know that they just announced the new Violet and I hadn't Periwinkle. Seen... I don't know what the other one is. <laughs> I, I haven't seen the names or anything. Someone showed me some of the uh, the starter Pokemon, but I haven't actually really looked into it myself. There is a big controversy because the fire Pokemon have been following the signs of the Zodiac. Oh. And it seems like this little fire crocodile crab apple that they've created uh, deviates from that. Mm. But I will say that the water duck... Uh, looks like a proper gentleman and I did like the water duck he calls to me now he's yeah. no he's no squirtle because I'm OG original <laughs> series I had it back in the day uh, last game I probably bought for my Game Boy that eight batteries <laughs> just as much as the recording equipment that we have here um, but that was the first Pokemon that I've seen in a long time I was like I want to know I want to know what's up I want to mm. see where he goes what adventure that must be Hmm. Um, and so the internet is now a flood of people trying to guess what that looks like, what their future evolutions are. There's yeah. also a grass cat. Ooh, okay. Uh, which a grass is cat. Grass cat. When was this announced? This week. It was, okay. like, it was like Thursday. There, that makes sense, because like, it, it had to have been before Thursday. I was like, what's the new Pokemon coming out? And there was nothing. Hmm. So yes. I was a day behind, apparently. It was a big shadig. Okay. I'll have to look into it. But nevertheless, um, so yeah, that's how the shop is doing right now. Let's go ahead and talk about some actual board game news, some that I'm really excited about because it's about a game that probably was my entry point into getting more sophisticated board games in my life, and that is Betrayal the House on the Hill. Yay. Incredibly long title for a board game. Can be an incredibly long game that you play, but amazingly fun. Also known as Hill Betrayal House Hill or... 
Hill House Betrayal House. I, my son once a game, and it's got these words in it. Do you know what it is? So for those of you that haven't played, the idea is that you go into a haunted house, uh, and during this time you're exploring. You're not really given a reason why. Uh, it's just you and a bunch of friends kind of scooby-dooing it until finally certain events happen in the game. You are then set upon to uh, identify one person possibly as a traitor within your group. Sometimes that actually means everyone's the traitor. Sometimes it means that there might be secondary motivators within the game, but there is a host of different ones. Uh, just a few spoilers, I've had alien invasions, uh, I've had a house turn into a dollhouse, um, I've had zombie lords, I've had vampires and ghosts. Demon summonings. Demon summonings, I've had it where the uh, house is like a living thing and absorbs somebody and then that person gets to control the house. Really, some really creative ones. A lot of horror tropes and a lot of creative things that are just a little bit different. Yes. One of the things, though, that was always a, a downfall about the game, though, is whenever you played it, you always had to have one person who was the traitor mid-game. And if you had a bunch of people that had never played the game before, the chances are that person who doesn't know how to play the game is now going to have to go to another room and read another set of rules that an experienced gamer can't actually help people learn. Yeah. Uh, because there a lot of the secrets of what they can do give them advantages in the game. It's hidden information, so you can't say, hey, I'm not sure if I'm reading this correctly. Exactly. So that is always the, the tricky thing about betrayal, especially because there's better than 50% odds, I feel, that some, in a group of people where only one person's never played betrayal, that person is going to be the traitor. Fate leans that direction. Yes. For that sure. Me. Yeah. yeah. And it did me too. However, it seems like Hasbro has decided that they want to go ahead and try and change that and some other things with a third edition of the game. Uh, where it sounds more and more like there's going to be a lot of awesome additions. I, go ahead, Jesse. Oh, yeah, no. It's, <clears throat> um, looking at this new edition is very interesting to me because as, as a, a sidebar, uh, last year Hasbro took the Avalon Hill imprint that was under Watsy for, I think, a decade or so, uh, which anymore is known for betrayal, um, Axis and Allies, and um, there's a third game I always forget that's an Avalon Hill title that's actually still in print, but that's pretty much it at this point. And for board game history, Avalon Hill was kind of the original hobby board game company. Um, Hasbro restructured, took that imprint away from Watsi and made it a mainline Hasbro imprint. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see what they're going to be doing with that now, if maybe they're going to treat that as a more hobby gaming subline, because most of the things they brand as Hasbro branded stuff is very mainstream big box stuff um but this new edition looks really cool like we we're looking through it and it reminds me a little bit of how arkham horror went from its second edition to third edition in that it's not just a refresh it's not just a bunch of errata and a couple of new bells and whistles it really is a lot of reformatting some core parts of the game and based on the article we saw in Dicebreaker, there are haunts in there they're all new and some of them are almost are actually sequels to the current edition. So I think that's kind of neat because even if someone gets third edition and goes, I don't feel like going back to second, currently you could be playing regular betrayal and it might enrich your experience when you get to the new edition. And other things that we've heard is that not only with the 50 more haunts, but there's also gotta be the opportunity for a reluctant trader. So that way you could play certain scenarios that will allow that if a new person does become the trader, they can kind of say, I don't feel comfortable with this and a more experienced player can take over. Really good I, improvement. Yes, I have read somewhere that there's going to be motivations for why you are inside the house. <laughs> I've not been able to find this article, so I might be just making this up and it might be my fever dreams that are coming to life. But I do think that they, we could expect more things like that, as well as they've improved the minis to make them more paintable and uh, a little bit more like what we expect as a standard mini. They pointed out that the uh, character like health and stat trackers are improved to where they're not. The, the original ones are pretty rough. I mean, there's an upgrade yep. kit for a reason. Um, and it definitely looks like they're probably learning a few things from Betrayal Legacy, which was an amazing legacy game experience. Yeah. Um, 
And that one had things like asynchronous character powers that were dealt out at the beginning of the game yep. and things. So I think maybe they're going to take some of those things and put it in the new one. Well, and actually, for being such an old game, there is a very interesting timed out expansion and kind of release mm-hmm. for Betrayal because there was an expansion that was released that Widow's got Walk. some... Yep, that got some amazing art uh, authors like Pendleton Ward, who did Adventure Time. Mm-hmm. He did a few haunts in there. Uh, some other big names appeared as people who wrote haunts for the game. We also then got uh, Betrayal at Baldur's Gate, mm-hmm. which was a variation of it that was D&D, and then a Scooby-Doo variation of it yes. as well. So I'm interested now that it's gone to Hasbro and not just Watsy, that if they are going to build this new edition and then much like what Hasbro seems to be doing right now with their pushes from G.I. Joe, Power Ranger, things along those lines to see what else they can incorporate into this rule set. Uh, I don't know if there will be a Power Rangers Betrayal of the House well, on the Hill, but Green Ranger, <laughs> that, I think that would work. That would be interesting, but that gets into uh, licensing, right? Because exactly. WotC has licensed those IPs to Renegade. Uh, but that actually brings up something that wasn't technically on our list, but is super exciting that uh, I don't think I've talked to you about yet, John, uh, but a friend of ours had um, shown me. So Power Rangers Heroes of the Grid, uh, people who've mm-hmm. listened more than one episode have probably heard how John and I both love that game. But yet, Jesse refuses <laughs> to play with me. <laughs> Coward. Um, and I have said before, every time the game comes up, it is an excellent co-op game and may be in my opinion, the best co-op game currently on the market. But there are a lot of people who sleep on it who would enjoy it because they're not into Power Rangers. Yes. And Renegade announced um, G.I. Joe, I think it's Mission Critical, Yep. which is the same engine, but for G.I. Joe. And I think that's going to work amazingly. I'm not a huge G.I. Joe person myself, but I will definitely throw down and play that. I think that it's gonna be a lot of fun. I was holding off on that information because I know Jamie is going to love <laughs> yes. that. And he will not have his eyes glaze over when we talk about Power right. Rangers now in that type of reference. But right. yeah, it is a fantastic game. It's a it's a deck builder where every character kind of feels unique and can really, uh, and especially with the whole cast of characters from G.I. Mm. Joe. Lex, G.I. Joe was a <laughs> cartoon in a much previous, a previous timeline, yeah, I guess yeah. is a better version to say that for you where there was an eclectic cast of heroes and villains it's, it's with interesting. It's interesting to me because of those Hasbro IPs, and this might be something we've trod over before. I think it is. Every time G.I. Joe comes up, we talk about this. Yep. You know, Transformers, they tend to keep in rotation. There's always an iteration of Transformers alive. Um, Power Rangers, they have been making an effort to keep that one. They're, they're riding on the nostalgia for people who are in their 30s right now. Uh, and then, like, My Little Pony has been uh, not as active in the last few years, but Friendship is Magic definitely still has some some uh, cachet. Yep. Uh, G.I. Joe has had a few attempts at revival over the years, but it has never clicked fully. And so it's interesting to me that they, you know, I do still see things for G.I. Joe, like the G.I. Joe deck builder ended up being pretty popular, but I wasn't sure how that was going to go because there hasn't been like a not nostalgia-fueled, full-on G.I. Joe TV series or anything in quite a while. They did a couple of like anime back in... All the early 2010s? Yes. But, like, G.I. Joe Extreme yeah. was also back in the 90s. Oh, that was a thing. That, that was a thing. Yeah. But I think that war is a hot-button topic. Yeah. That probably is a yeah. little hard to there is a, explore in a kid's show right now. There is a, a new toy line for G.I. Joe Transformers crossovers coming up again. Yep. And there's a, a Megatron as a... Uh, uh, Cobra, his tank. yeah, his tank. Yep, yeah. with Baroness piloting. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's I. Yeah. <laughs> Again, if you if you haven't read comics, the GI Joe Transformer Rom Space Knight universe is existing over at IDW. I think. Um, is it IDW? Yes, yes. Uh, okay. I th- I'm not sure if they're still doing the shared universe thing or not. I think they are because I know that they had like um oh. So the dead time it's the seeker that is not the Th- thundercracker um the purple one skywarp skywarp joined uh gi joe i remember that being kind of one of the interesting things out of that but anyway uh that's a lot of comic talk um we'll talk more about the gi joe mission critical when uh we have jamie on because i'm sure. sure that he is yes. super excited if he has not heard but yeah the the third edition for uh that should come out Uh, which has some excellent design elements. And speaking of design elements, 
Wow, it's weird when James not here to point out when I make a good or bad transition. Like I'm, I'm used to segue, hearing the just ride yeah. the segue down the down the street. Uh, Lex has joined us today because she wants to talk specifically about this month and a very special theme to it. Yes, um, it is International Women's Day and/or month. I believe the actual day is the eighth, um, but we can celebrate all month long, so it doesn't matter. Women are great all the time. Exactly. So. Do you, do you want me to read everything that I have here? Do you want me to save it for a later podcast? Let's let's just talk about like what you have in front of you right okay, now. Okay, cool. So I have some quotes from the International Women's Day campaign for the year, and they have a theme that is break the bias. And so I'll go ahead and read that quote. Um, it says, imagine a gender equal world, a world free of bias, stereotypes, and discrimination, a world that is diverse, equitable, and inclusive, a world where difference is valued and celebrated, Together we can forge women's equality. Collectively, we can all break the bias. Um, and then there's some more, but I'll leave it at that. So what I did to tie this into the store was find 10 different women designers, um, artists, creators, and featured them in our window with little placards about what they've made, what they do, who they are. And I did eight women who make board games or do board game art, and then one who is just an artist for D&D, Magic. Um, what was the game that, uh, Magali, you were showing oh, me? Oh, um, uh, gonna butcher the name, Magali Villain Wave? Right. It's the same last name as the director of Dune. Uh, oh, okay. She did art for the Game of Thrones living card game before she started to do Magic all the time. Uh, my favorite artist for card games. And she, she, so Throne of Eldraine is my favorite magic set, and she did the art for the poster there of Rowan. Um, so really you're fangirling. That's what's happening yeah. as well. This is just right. an excellent tie-in for exactly. it. Um, so those nine, and then Ibu, which is a woman-owned puzzle company. So I tried to mix it up a little bit with everything in the store instead of just doing board games. Um, and so, I have seen a few of these being posted on our Facebook as well, yes, correct? Yes, uh, Brittany's doing that. I... We've sort of collaborated on it. She's done some research on her own. I've done some, and I need to send her my stuff so that she has the same information I have in the windows that she posts online so it all matches up. Okay, so but, without putting this in any sort of numerical list, why don't you give us the, the names of the designers that really stood out to you that you felt the need to write down okay. on some pieces of paper, which I think is the <laughs> first printed thing we've had on this podcast. <laughs> I took a lot of notes on this, so I already had it prepared on the computer. I didn't do it just for the podcast. So we've got Ibu. Uh, Beth Sobel, Elizabeth Hargrave, Christine Looney, Elisa Teague, um, Michaela or Min. This is the last name I'm gonna. Do you know how to pronounce that? Um. Uh, no, that <laughs> does not. It, it looks like uh, it says that they work with uh, Czech Games Designs. I'm going to butcher yes, that. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I won't attempt to ruin Min's name. We'll just go with Min. Uh, Inca Brand, Nikki Valens, Miranda Everts, and Magali Villanueve. Villa, Villanueve. We're butchering all the names. I okay. have looked up how to pronounce that last name multiple times, and I just can never keep it in my head. I don't blame you. <laughs> As a person that was a former school teacher, that was always the most strenuous time of the year, is when you got new students and you didn't know what was going to be coming at you. Uh, the unique spellings, the unique pronunciations, and attendance was always horrible for those first three weeks. Well, and I thought, and I, it might be both, I thought it was an Italian name for a long time, and so I thought it was like Villanueve, and then I, I think it's French, or it's both, and so I know it was pointed out to me with the director, uh, Denis Villeneuve, uh -huh. that I was like, oh, I'm saying that wrong. And I'm saying it wrong again, so butcher, butcher. <laughs> I went to school with someone with that last name and it was pronounced Villeneuve, but who knows if they pronounce their last name right, right? What's right, what's wrong? It's a name. So if somebody wanted to come to the store and learn <laughs> more about these artists and the project that they've worked on, yes. what could they do? So um, in the windows out front, we had, um, what's her name, Mindy, Molly? Mandy? Oh man, the one who did the art. I'm bad with names. We established this. I tried this. to remember it earlier. <laughs> a friend I'm of the sorry. store. Yeah. Friend of the store. <laughs> friend of the store. Whose name is probably in the window that yeah. we it could... Is. It is, and I looked earlier and forgot. Anyhow, she put a bunch of her art up over there and it was very minimalistic. So I was like, you know what? Let's match this on the opposite window instead of having it be really crazy like they generally are. And so you just see like the nice wood everywhere and 
since her art just was piece of art and then a little placard that said what her piece was about, I did the same for the games. So I put out one to three games that each of these people designed or created and little tiny placards that mention who they are, where they're from, what they like to do, what different games they've done. So you can go and walk by the window and read all of that. So not only can you come to the store to get these fantastic games, but you can also learn a little bit yeah. at the same time. And with this amazing weather we've been having, don't count Monday. Monday coming up, that's not going to count because <laughs> no, I think no. it's still supposed to snow. But uh, this fantastic weather has really made uh, walking downtown, especially to the yeah. store, really nice. So I would highly suggest stopping by, checking out the window, seeing these games, and finding maybe a little bit more appreciation for stuff that you might already have on your shelf. Yeah. And it was, it was fun for me because some of these names I knew, um, like Miranda Everett's made Sleeping Queens. I knew that story. But I didn't know some of these other ones, and that was it was fun to learn. Like I, uh, Elizabeth Hargrave made Wingspan, and then I was looking at Beth Sobel, and she was the artist for Wingspan. So I was like, oh, that's really neat. I can put them by each other, and, and it's just. And Wingspan is, from mechanics to art, beautiful. Like it is, it is amazing. And also, Min is the one who made Lost Rings of Arnak with her husband, and I mm. heard you like that game, yes, no? I do. Yeah. I have not tried it with the expansion yet, but I Lost have. Runes Oh, is... I've got stories. Okay. <laughs> so sell me on it. Is the expansion worth it? Yes, 100%. Um, there is the new characters, right, and they all do different things. So I played as the Explorer, which means you only have one worker to place instead of two. But you have food tokens, so if you place your worker in one spot, you can then use that food token and put it where your worker was and move your worker elsewhere. The first food token is free, so it's kind of like you've got two workers. And then the other two, one costs a coin and one costs a compass. And so you can technically move four times in one turn if you've got the resources to do so. Um, so I enjoyed that because I could move around the board a lot more. The the personalization that comes now, like you're not just a person, but you're actually a character with a power inside the game. I can only imagine that adds a, a new level of complexity to everything. It's, it does. Um, one of them was more complicated than the rest to me, and that's one of the people I played with played it. Um, the mystic? Some sort of magic. Gotcha. Um, his board was like larger, and you could cast quote-unquote spells, but it's not... You're in ruins, so it's not really magic-y, but... The description was. I'm sorry. I believe that ruins are magic, okay. no matter where That's they are. That's fair. Uh, you can see it being like a mystical kind yeah. of like, you know. But um, yeah, it was really neat. And then I played Arnak online, and I was like, "Where's the expansion? I want my explorer." Oh, and that actually is a great segue into what we want to talk yeah. about for our final topic of today, and that is Jesse came to me with a challenge, and he said, "Hey, I want to talk about." board game arena and if you haven't played give it a shot and he sent me uh information about how to add him i have not added you yet <laughs> i've noticed however oh you were just checking <laughs> uh i did try and get on board game alliance or excuse me arena and i tried to play a game of splendor and unfortunately i did not get the premium package so I was put into a queue and I was kind of waiting for a game. There were a lot of different options, so I actually did not get a chance to play. However, you are not the only person that has been trying to push me in this direction. So I need you, and it sounds like both of yes. you, to sell me on why I should keep on trying to attempt Board Game Arena. So I think this is an interesting topic for discussion because um, things like Board Game Arena, which to give context is a website that has essentially browser app versions of a lot of board games, some of which are available to play for free, some of which are, uh, if you have a premium account, then Arnak you can uh, play. Mm. Yes, Arnak is free. And there's some other benefits to a premium account as well, but there's a good bit of content on a free account. Um, things like this became very popular, obviously, especially during the pandemic uh, between Tabletop Simulator, Tabletopia, and PGA. I personally find it to be very taxing to try to play a game on something like Tabletop Simulator because it's a physics engine, which means that you have the flexibility if you can play anything, but a lot of games do not have AI programmed in for how the game is scripted, for handling the rules, 
It's like controlling hands with a second set of hands. Mm. It's not for me. A lot of people, it works great, but I just find it more trouble than I really enjoy. It. Um, and then I realized that Board Game Arena, which I apparently made an account for like in 2020 and then barely played, um, is not that way. All the games on it are scripted to where you can only take the action you can do and the game tells you what your next action available is and things like that. And there's some tool tips, um, which is very useful, especially in like a worker placement game with a lot of symbolism, like in Arnak, where you can tool tip over and then it says, oh, this is what this area does. Um, these things come up a few times and then obviously being a board game store, the question is, well, if people can play all these games for free or close to it online, how does that affect their desire to actually buy the physical game? A question that we've had on this podcast before, reaching from D&D Beyond mm -hmm. to some online adaptations that you can download from Steam as yeah. well. And I think ultimately... Um, it is a non-issue because it makes you want... If you are a board game person, there is a tactile element to gaming that you enjoy. And as much as I think it's amazing that I have managed to play 50 games in the last 30 days, uh, which is almost more than I played all of last year, um, largely thanks to playing on BGA, the games I've discovered on there are games that I now want a physical copy of. Uh, the games that I have um, played on there that I played before, it's made me go, oh, I want to get this out next time my friends are at the table. Or it's been a great way to refresh myself in anticipation. One example being Res Arcana, a game I really love but haven't played in at least a year. I'm going to be training uh, employees on that at one of our game training sessions later today after this podcast. And I played it on BGA to refresh myself on the rules. Um, so I think it's a non-issue. I mean, there, there are a couple of games that there's actually one, Targi, that I had never played before. And I was like, two-player worker placement. Let's check this out. And I went, wow, this is, this is solid. This is tight. And I ordered it in for the store. I bought a copy, and now I am uh, evangelizing how fun a game it is. Guys, this topic is so hot that the sirens in the back. <laughs> yeah. <are going> off. <laughs> and then there's Sobek, which is another two-player game, mm -hmm. and played it, and I was like, "Oh, this is fantastic." There's a little bit of not tile placement, but tile drawing, and I was like, "Okay, yeah. When we when we get this in, I gotta buy it." And then I found out it doesn't come out till May but we can play it online. Which is really interesting, right? So like Sobek 2 player is coming off from Pandasaurus later this year. And it's a game that I looked at and I saw in like a solicitation in my email and I went, well, that looks cool. I like the art, it's tiles. I don't really have a feel for what this game is like though. They have it on Board Game Arena. It might already be released in Europe, I'm not sure, but I've seen companies do that where they will put a pre-release version of their game on BGA and it builds hype. And like we have, let's see, how many games of Sobek have I played now? 13. I think that's about um, where I'm at. And it, well, is a, and it is a game that usually I play in sets of three. Like it's like, it, it goes quick, let's do another round, let's do another round. Very addicting. And uh, if you're hearing this podcast, Sobek 2 Player is going is currently available for pre-order from Red Wrecking Games. You'll get 10% off with your pre-order. Always pre-order. I think it's like a $35 game. It's from the developer of um, King Domino. And oh, that makes so much more sense. Yes, that's because that's the thing that clicked for me in the game was um, it's Egyptian themed. You're building a temple to Sobek and you are merchants moving wares back and forth. And so the mm -hmm. tiles you pick up are the wares and it's set collection. Um, there's a little bit of a almost mahjong or gin rummy kind of feel to the way you're picking up things and doing sets. But uh, the scoring itself is the tiles have a different color based on what resource they are. And then they have a little scarab icons at the bottom. And you score them by multiplying number of tiles by the number of scarabs, which is the same scoring you do in King Domino for contiguous areas. Right. So this is very much a game that I look at and I go, if someone has played King Domino, this is an amazing next step. 100%. That it, that is actually <laughs> the, the official solicitations for the game trying to sell it should have put that right up front. Because that is for me where I go, this is the connection that's going to make people go, ooh, interesting. And I would say that King Domino is very much in the realm of those games that I introduce new people to mm -hmm. advanced board gaming with. Absolutely. Uh, from, you know, Catan, Ticket to Ride, I think King Domino fits in there very well. So Absolutely. this could be that if you've gotten somebody in through King Domino, the next evolution, as you were saying. Yes. And 
yeah, uh, Arnak. I got to play Arnak uh, once or twice physically. I played it a few times on my phone, right? And mm. it it's reinvigorated my excitement for board games, especially Euro-style board games, which has been a really wonderful feeling. It's like being able to just bumble your way through, not worrying about the minutia of rules when you're trying to learn a game for the first time. Um, that was how I felt for Kalos which I think is the first worker placement game I ever played over a decade ago. And I remembered really liking it. And there was a new version, Kalos 1303, that came out a year or two ago. Um, and it's just one I haven't gotten to the table since, right? But I was like, oh, can just kind of trip through how to play it and learn and have a learner game, right? So absolutely, absolutely enjoyable. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's all I have really have to say. I think that's a really valid point as well, especially as we're looking to the future of where technology is taking us. And I think that uh, we, we've obviously Facebook looking at the metaverse. Uh, on Steam, I think right now is a game that is supposed to be emulating one of the famous VR anime, is it, I Sword can never art? pronounce it, Sword Art. Sword art it emulates that where you are supposed to be able to put in your VR goggles, mm. go in and go into a fantasy world. Uh, I know that Microsoft has actually discontinued their research into HoloLens technology, which was augmented reality. And I think that they are focusing more on the virtual reality aspect. Even in the business sector, you can have a SharePoint now that has a virtual space mm. where you can keep information. So I think that understanding that this is where a lot of our future is going makes a lot of sense for especially the board game industry. That being said, I know that a lot of people are like, oh, well, if we're able to jack into the matrix, then we'll never want to talk to each other again. Well, I don't know if I fully believe that. No. And and a great example is that Azul, which is another amazing introductory game, right? Great tile game. Um, we were talking about it, and uh, Alexis mentioned, like, I never played Azul. I was like, well, we could play it on BGA, but I would rather we play with a copy at the store because Azul is a game that you could totally play uh, digitally, and it doesn't matter how pretty the app is, you're not going to get the experience of how nice those tiles feel, the, mm -hmm. the almost ceramic feeling tiles. I feel similar with Patchwork. The app is fun. I got my Patchwork fix because for whatever reason, I, I played the game once and then I'd been wanting to play it the last like month like crazy. So I was able to get the app, but it's just not quite the same. Marrakesh was the same way. Yeah. You can play Mar Marrakesh game. on BGA, but I think it loses a lot from not having the tiles that are the carpets. Yeah. Yeah. Technically, in our space, there's so much that we could do all digitally, but we still choose mm -hmm. to. Like, you can see the Great Wall of China, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that you've been to the Great yeah. Wall of China. Even if I'm playing an RPG online, I still like to physically roll dice. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I still enjoy making minifigures. Even though I know that we're going to be using maybe Roll20, I want a figure to represent who mm -hmm. I am so I have the visual recommendation. And when I see people, I can show them, oh, this is the character that I play inside of our yeah. game. There wouldn't be a Dark Souls board game if there wasn't a desire to have that, that tactile that experience. Excellent point, because there's so many video games from Monster Hunter to, like you said, board. I'm sure Elden Ring, the board game, is only a matter of time. Uh, just give it some space to breathe after it's just come out, because I'm even into that, and I'm not huge into the Soulsborne games. It seems like it'd be good for an RPG. It's the open reality of it absolutely is. And I don't know if you're aware, but Matthew Mercer did a one shot where he got a few people from Critical Role and a few other people, including one of my favorite DMs of all time, Brendan Lee Mulligan from Dimension 20, uh, to play in a one shot based in the Elden Ring universe. Cool. I've not been able to watch it yet. I have it reserved for a special time where I can <laughs> pour myself a drink and wear a robe and be enjoying yeah. it. But uh, yeah, absolutely. I haven't gotten to play Elden Ring yet. But I mean, it looks really neat. I'm hearing fun things about it from an atmosphere and setting wise. And I mean, it's interesting because I, if I remember right, George R. R. Martin wrote scenario for it, right? He, Some of it. It has been odd what they've said because Miyazaki is the one that's really been now credited as the main author. And George R. R. Martin has even gone out and said this is really Miyazaki's okay. game. I just as came in the, and helped. the one behind the whole Soul series, right? Exactly. Okay. So I think that he has George R. R. Martin came in and and was like an Consulting. idea giver. Okay. He gave a consultant. He's like, let's put some other elements. But if you're going in thinking that you're going to be playing, you know, Game of Thrones, right. the video game, you're going to be sorely disappointed because okay. there's 
actually stuff that is magic in this well, world. And that's the thing that's interesting about it is that what I feel like I'm hearing is it leaning possibly even more than Dark Souls did into one of um, uh, the developer's main inspirations, which is the Berserk manga by um, Miura. Yes. And that's the thing that really intrigues me because that's such a unique setting and unique vibe. I would say that the these usual Souls Wars games are very much a, a board game feel like you're going down one path. You're right in saying Elden Ring has that more open world RPG feeling where you could go and do other things and meet other characters and, and really get lost in the world. Unfortunately, there is no Elden Ring RPG. There's not even an Elden Ring board game. But there are a lot of amazing things that you can be right buying right now at the store. So let's take a look at what's actually in the new hotness. What is catching your eyes? First, can we backtrack to online gaming again? Because I am yeah. terrible at inserting myself in conversations. Please do, please do, because I'm terrible about talking too much. Um, I don't. You're logging every single game, right? I do log all of my games in BG stats. Okay. I only log them the first time I play them, unless they're like a massive game. So like Sobek, I've only logged it once, even okay. though I've played it X right. amount of times. But BG Stats, which also is an app that everybody who plays board games should get, um, I have played 45% of the games I've played this year online, so 55% offline, which I think is a neat statistic. Hmm. And that's only counting your first play of each game online right. unless it's something really intense. Right. And and BGA does have its own stats where you can see how many plays you actually did and whatnot on there. And that's out of 20 games played this year. Again, just one shots or one one, one off. Yeah. Um and then I was going to say too my selling point to you John is the last podcast I did uh, we were talking about games that had apps with them like Phantoms of Madness is wrong with them. Yes. And I thought, well, I don't know how great of an idea that is because you want that in-person feel with people. I take back everything I said. I'm a hypocrite. Okay. All right. <laughs> You're not properly labeled. Yeah. Um, because it's... I have played Mansions of Madness for one now and so the app in that alone is, is good. I like little puzzles. But... Playing online and playing in person are two very, very different things. And like Jesse said, it doesn't it doesn't change you wanting to play it and feel the pieces. Yes. There is not one game that I've played online that I would rather play online. There is a sense of being able to see the scope of the board in real life that just watching it on a monitor, no matter what graphics card you have, is never going to be the same. I have hopes for the metaverse that sometime that might be interesting because if we can get to a point where you could actually zoom yourself down into like Mansion of Madness and either look at the whole entire board or zoom down and be the actual size of a figure <laughs> and look around and see cool. what you see, uh, I think that would be amazing. Yeah. But we are still light years from yeah. that. Uh, but I do see that there is a future for these online games and it being an enhancement to how you play board games, not becoming the only way that you became, became uh, play board games. Which at that point, I don't even know if we call them board games anymore because there won't be any boards involved. I also yeah. think it's a, a really good way to learn. There was one game, Zulkin, where I think that would make more sense to me learning in person. But all other games I've learned on there have been super nice because it tells you what to do. And when I'm playing in person, I my memory is just awful. So someone will read the rules and then I'm like, yeah, I get it. And then we go to play and I'm like, wait, what? So it takes me a few games to fully understand something. And that's not necessarily the case here because I don't have to be like, oh, what's that one piece all the way across the table say that I can't see? Mm -hmm. I can just press it and it can tell me and I can remember myself and not have to bother other people. Or I can scroll down and read the rules again real quick to myself. I will say that I want you both to sign my petition that every board game should come with uh, reference rules. Cards? Well, reference cards for one. Absolutely. <laughs> I believe we should have full rules for the number of players yes. that you have. I know that would mark up costs dramatically, and I'm not actually going to demand that of anybody. But I can tell you that whenever my wife and I played games, it used to be she would read the rules and teach me. But I always start the game at a disadvantage mm -hmm. because I don't know what's right. going on until it's fully elaborated to me. I'm building my strategy halfway through. Through. Right. Once we started getting into where she reads the rules and then I read the rules, then we had a more competitive mm. and cooperative experience that didn't require 
a learning period. But that is impossible to do if you have new people coming right. to the table. One of the advantages I could definitely see from this online aspect is saying, hey, tomorrow night we're playing this game. Here it is on Board Game Arena. You can go ahead, learn the rules, learn how to work with the pieces, gain your strategy, and then when you come, you can have a professional, not a professional, but an experienced player session, which mm -hmm. I think all of us here know the difference between we're playing games with friends that have never played this before, so we're not going to take this yep. seriously, and the I'm going to cut your throat <laughs> if you take that resource, <laughs> like intensity you can have when there's experienced players Being playing. able to get reps in, yeah. Exactly. And there's so few times where you can get a group of friends that are like, okay, here's this new game, let's play it four times so that we can master it right. and really be good at it. Um, I've always wanted to do that, like have a weekly board game night, but we play the same games for the entire month. Uh, but I just don't think that I would, you would get much traction in that because that's not how people usually want to work. They want to try new things. Yeah. And so I think Board Game Arena is a great way to find that middle ground of letting people go. If they want to learn how to play the game, learn it there. And then jumping into the game and saying, okay, I know what I'm doing. This might still feel like a little new experience, but I'm at least coming in armed and dangerous. I think it's also nice because sometimes you can't get that group of friends together. Exactly. And even though you're still taking hours out of your day to play this game, it's spread out while you're doing chores and eating breakfast or whatever. So you still get to play that game with that person and enjoy it with your friends. Or for, my mom does not play board games. Um, and I talked her into downloading the app yesterday and I was like, look, Download the app. I'll play this game with you. It's going to be difficult because you don't know games, but we can we can just be on the phone together, and I'll teach it to you across the country. And that's neat. That is very neat and very sweet. She, we haven't officially done it yet, but she did say she would. So okay. We'll... Commitment. That's yes. the first step. Yes. <laughs> but let's take a look at some of the games we would love to have on Board Game Arena by taking a look at the new hotness. Uh, I went ahead and looked, and I'm going to say there's a few things there that are catching my eye. Uh, what are the things that are really making you guys excited right now? There's been so many things coming through the new hotness that I, when you took this picture that we're all referencing, I was like, what, what's in here that I remember being in there the last time I looked? Because it's been changing multiple times, sometimes in a week. Um, so I mentioned Targi, which is not new in publishing, but it's new to us. And I talked about that one a little bit earlier, so I don't need to go into too much detail, but two-player worker placement resource management. Um, we are constantly struggling. So we recently actually revamped, uh, Alexis did this, yeah. revamped our in-house board game certification curriculums where we go, here's a list of games and mechanics to learn to make you better at understanding board games for employees. And uh, in that, there are a lot of things where you go, uh, here's an easy game to learn drafting. Here's an easy game to learn uh, car, uh, deck building. Worker placement games tend to be heavier, and so having someone just come off from not playing hobby games, it's, it's a hard mechanic to learn. I think Targi is a good example. It's only two players, very quick to play, small board, uh, small number of resources, and it's only $20. So I think that's one definitely worth taking a look at um, for that. Another thing that I'm excited about in here is uh, the reprint of Dead Men Tell No Tales. That's an old one from Minion Games originally. And um, the person who owned Minion Games, I believe, passed away a few years ago, and the company went defunct after that. Renegade rescued the game, uh, gave us some improvements. I think there's new miniatures in there and some stuff, a little new coat of polish. And uh, yeah, that's a co-op pirate game. Good pirate games are kind of hard to come by sometimes, where the ship's on fire, you're trying to grab loot and get off. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So those are a couple things I really uh, think are neat that are in the, the new hotness. What about you, Alexis? I, Cthulhu Wars Duel Extinction. So I own Cthulhu Wars Duel. I have not played it yet because I have not been able to talk anybody into it, especially because it's a two-player. When I get together in person to play games with people, it tends to be a group of three. Right. Um, but... I, anything Lovecraftian just makes me very happy. You know that. We like I do. That, we that, share that in common. Yeah. So that, that's the one that's drawn me in on the new hotness. And not on this picture, but if you turn around on the table is Rune. Mm -hmm. is, oh, were you going to say Mantis Falls? Oh, I was thinking about um, Machina Arcana. I thought oh, because you're talking there. about yeah, Lovecraftian. Yeah. Um, but yeah, good. But talk, talk about that too. So 
I'll leave Rune to you. Okay. Since we both play that, I'll talk about Mantis Falls. Okay. Uh, Mantis Falls is a two to three player, possibly cooperative game. Um, possibly because you think that you are all just the normal urbanites. Witness on the same yes. on the same team. Yes. Um, but you're dealt out a card at the beginning, so somebody could be the assassin, but it's so if you're playing two players, there's three cards dealt out, so you might not be. Um, and you're you're traveling through the road from the evening to the dark, and you are fighting people in the streets, and it might be something. So on your turn, when you draw an event, it'll say this is a scene event, and so you have to tell the person you're playing with. But if it's unseen, you don't. So if you're the traitor, or even if you're not, you can be like, oh yeah, this is what it says, but it might not be what it says, so you can fool them. So is um, this social deduction? Yes, sort of. The okay. uh, yeah, the flavor on it is that your witness is some kind of organized crime uh, that occurred, and you're trying to get out of town before you get uh, nicked off because they know. And so you are trying to escape, and you aren't sure whether the other person with you is actually a hit person that's waiting for the right moment to off you. Oh. It's, so it's a pretty difficult co-op game already, but then also there's that trust element. It's called a game of trust. Uh, for me, it reminds me a lot of Battlestar Galactica or Unfathomable, but playable at a two to three player number, which is very interesting. Yeah. I will say that when you first said Mantis Falls, correct? Yes. Uh, I was thinking of Gravity Falls. So everything you've been describing in my head is Alex Herschel's right. like, art style. And it is now I need to see that show. Yes. However, uh, that sounds incredible. But I did see Mechanis Arcana? Machina Arcana. Machina Do you want to talk about that one? No. Or? So Machina Arcana is a big box board game. It kind of fits in that same niche as something along the lines of a Dark Souls the board game or um, Bloodborne, um, Massive Darkness. It's a chunky big, game with It's a chunky adventure game. It is a steampunk Magitech sort of um, uh, turn of the century setting. And it draws a lot on Lovecraftian horror, but that's not the only thing it has going for it, which is really nice. It feels like it folds in nicely. And a lot of those games tend to be very mini heavy. Like you have a big price point where it's like a $100 game and you're paying for a lot of plastic, which is not a bad thing, but this one, they went a different route. They went no character cards or standees. And then it's a lot more cardboard and paper in the box instead of plastic. So that there is a little bit more of a character customization element where your characters are able to get new abilities, kind of like a role-playing game or equipment and things like that. The art is absolutely gorgeous. Anyone who is uh, listening to this should look up Machina Arcana right now um, and uh, look at the gorgeous art. So we have a few copies of that on the shelf and some of the expansions for it. Well, you just sold me on that. So after this <laughs> podcast, after I release you, I'll probably be going into the store. But you also said there's another one that maybe I should keep my eye on called Rune? Rune. Rune is my new favorite um, impulse pickup, put it in your pocket game. I don't want um, a backpack on me, otherwise I would pull it out. Yeah. It, so this is uh, until we got um, the next really tiny game that we like that I can, oh, um, uh, Tinder Blocks. I was like, this might be the smallest profile game that we have in the store that's not just like a tuck, tuck box of playing cards. So Rune is um, tile laying, set collection, area control, not set collection, just area control, um, where you are wizards and you are trying to collect runes. There are three colors of them. And you play out cards that have like a nine grid of, is it, no wait, nine grid or six? Is it six? Six. six. So six um, runes on them, kind of like a domino. And when you play a card down, it can, uh, there's a couple rules to it, but it's basically you can expand out the board in ways that uh, overlap correctly or make contiguous sense, right? So you're making these networks of blue, green, and red runes. And you either draw a card at the end of your turn or you place one of your little wizard meeples down and your wizard meeple claims a contiguous section, right? So kind of like roads in Carcassonne or something, right? You score based on how many there are. Um, but since the game board is constantly changing, the area you control there may become larger or smaller depending on the cards that get played through the rest of the game. And uh, the game keeps going until all of those have been played. Um, 
it, so there's a time limit on it. It will never take really more than 15 minutes. It can be quicker than that. It's a two to three player game and works wonderfully in that number. And three players, I think, I was thinking about this. One of the friends I taught it to uh, recently said, I got to pick this up because three players is a hard number for a game. And I was thinking about them saying that over the last week. I know when I started board gaming and they started in the same time I did around 2010, 2009, 2010. Three players was a very difficult number to get in a game without it being an awkward kingmaker situation or something, right? Yep. That doesn't feel like a problem the way that it used to. I think game design has come a long way to making that not an issue number. And I was just thinking about how that doesn't feel like a problem anymore for a lot of games. And that's really neat. And I think with the elevation of Euro games, that yeah, has really helped a definitely. lot too. So yeah, Rune is tiny. It is... Um, it is smaller than my phone, and it has. I love that it has cards and meeples all inside this tiny box. And it's like fifteen bucks. You're also forgetting it comes with too many expansions. It does come with too many expansions that are really freaking cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's and it's yeah, it's awesome. Speaking of minis and small games, I did want to put a call out that in the new hotness is the new tiny epic game series. Yes, Tiny Epic Dungeons. Yes, I haven't got a chance to play it yet, but it looks interesting. So we got in some Kickstarter copies of Tiny Epic Dungeons, the deluxe version with all the extra stuff. Um, They sold out almost instantly. We still have Tiny Epic Dungeons Stories, which is the expansion that off the top of my head, I can't remember if that expansion was Kickstarter exclusive or not. The regular retail release for Tiny Epic Dungeons is coming up and it's still available for pre-order. And that series has, the tiny epic series has always been a deliverable. And I think that they kind of went a little overboard with the mech one that they Mm. came out with recently. It it felt a little bit bigger. They had like play mats and stuff. And it seems like this new one is kind of back to basics of small box you can put in your pocket and take somewhere with you. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I just wanted to point out is uh, Critical Role has finally released all of their animated episodes. And if you absolutely loved it, you can go into Red Raccoon and not only pick up minis for your D&D game, but also you guys have some awesome chibi pens yes. that I saw in the case. That's not in the new hotness, but are still available. There is, so Darrington Press, we're a Darrington Press guild store, and that's the official Critical Role uh, mm-hmm. merch store. And we bring a lot of cool stuff in, but if there is anything that a Critical Role person sees on their website, we can order it in. And that could be a t-shirt, one of the awesome like hoodie dresses. I don't, I actually am not a critical role person myself. I've never really watched or read it. Um, But I've seen like the hoodie dresses. I'm like, I want one of those. That looks amazing. That's just cool. Um, So any of that, whatever size you want, it might take a little bit for it to come in just because we have to put together a decent sized order first, but um, that's probably within a month. And uh, yeah, so any of that stuff you can get through us and you get that same 10% special order discount. I was just about to say. So that is some fantastic news about what you can come into the store and pick up today. What are some events that are coming up that might people might want to come in for to, to kind of push them over the edge? Uh, let's see. So we have a couple cool things that have started this month. Um, we should probably mention briefly, I alluded earlier about the changes in mask mandates. We've had some questions about that. So currently, as of this day, which is March 6th, uh, masks are optional in store and in the event space. Vaccinations are still required to be using the event space. So proof of vaccination, two doses, currently not requiring boosters. We're just kind of following CDC and Illinois Department of Health guidelines there. Uh, that could change in the future, but we are not planning on changing our vaccine requirement anytime soon. Um, but we have made a few changes to uh, our event space. So, so far we've been doing just organized scheduled events like if you want to come out on uh friday night and play warhammer 40k we've got that if you want to come out on thursday night and play magic commander we've got that but if you went hey it's wednesday night and i want to come out and play infinity with my friends do you have a table available or we want to grab a game from the rent library we didn't have that phase active yet for returning to like open gaming in the basement we have returned open <laughs> open gaming is back at Red Raccoon Games. That was, that was, I was trying not to yell into the mic and do it really bad. I appreciate that. Yeah, I was going to have to rock kind of uh, reference there. That okay, was the, I see where you're yes, going with that. Yeah, you can smell what the, what the rock was cooking. No one ever asks when it's going to be ready yet. That's the thing that bothers me. No, they just so, it, it smells <laughs> enough. But this is ready. So uh, essentially the way this works, during the week, Monday through Friday, the uh, event space in the basement opens at 5.30. Anytime after that, if you say, hey, 
me and my friends want a table, you can come up, just pay the event fee or use a coupon to waive that, right? Five bucks or a coupon. If you've been spending money at the store, you probably got those sitting on your account you're not even thinking about. Uh-huh. And uh, you can use a table. If we have events scheduled, then some of the tables are going to be reserved for that event and given preference. Um, but it's it there's almost always been space lately right so that's really fun and exciting so beyond just like thursday night board game night which is when we tell people hey come out and play board games there's more open availability to use this table space also the red raccoon role-playing guild is uh been relaunched i think there's a post up for that now if not uh probably will be by the time this goes out and that is our program for if someone says hey me and my friends would like to run a D&D table every other Tuesday, or I'd like to run a Call of Cthulhu table and um, try to get a group together for that, and we want to play the third Wednesday of every month, whatever. Um, so people say, how do I do that? How do I get table space reserved? So the role-playing guild's getting relaunched. We did that before COVID. It's been reworked, tightened up, and essentially you put an application on our website and tell us all the information about what you want to run and everything, and then uh we find where it fits in the schedule that we can guarantee you that table and there's a few regulations in there as far as how to keep that up and make everything good on their side and our side and if someone already has a table with all their players that's great if they're looking for players we offer to put it out on our social media like our facebook and our discord to say hey people are looking for a group who wants to play some call of cthulhu or whatever right um so that's exciting we've had a lot of people ask about that applications for that are now open I think a lot of RPGing playing was happening during COVID, and I'm oh, sure people yes. are looking for more of that. Hook. Absolutely. Well, of course, all of that can be found at your local game store in Bloomington, Illinois. Thank you so much, Jesse and Lex, for coming and talking with me today. I will go ahead and release your manacle shortly. And until next time, ladies and gentlemen, keep playing. Woo! Have fun. I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs>